For me, fashion is a verb. So it's too fashion. You're listening to Wardrobe Crisis with Claire Press. Join me every week as we look at sustainability, ethics, and the business and madness of fashion. Hello. How are you enjoying your holidays? If you're listening to this when it comes out, it will be over the holiday season. And I thank you very, very much for spending a bit of time with me. This week's guest is a proper treat. Think of it as a gift. It's my Christmas present to you. (laughs) And I say that because I've just been, oh, I love this. I love this man and I love this interview so much. So I've got this spreadsheet on which I write all the wish list names of people I'd love to have on the podcast. And I've been doing it since I started in 2017. And on that list has been Andrew Logan's name for all this time. (laughs) He is a sculptor an artist, a jewellery designer, a great British eccentric and a fashion insider who I would say it's weird because he's a bit under the radar in terms of not being as famous as some of the people who buy his work and know about his work and who with whom he has worked with, which is funny because there's nothing under the radar about him when you meet him and when you see him, he dresses like an absolute rainbow. He's amazing. Now, he's also the founder of something called Alternative Miss World, which turned 50 in 2022. And I'll let him explain what it is. But Hint is in the title. The very first one that they had, it was in 1972, and he got all his mates involved. And one of the judges was David Hockney. (laughs) Oh, I love it. There's actually a film about this. I will share all the links. Make sure you look at the show notes for this one so you can see pictures of all of the fashion glamazons past that we talk about. You can find them at thewardrobecrisis.com as usual. You'll also find a link for Andrew's new book. It's called Reflections, and it's full of glorious life stories and pictures of his absolutely brilliant work. I love it. Uh, This is a conversation about fashion characters for sure. You'll hear us talk about big names, about I don't know, going to Aussie Clark's fashion shows in the 70s, Um, tall tales that actually happened. How is it possible? He talks about showing his jewellery in Soviet-era Moscow and a weird trip to India with Zandra Rhodes where they painted an elephant with toothbrushes. Don't ask. This was for a Pirelli calendar shoot. I've actually checked. It is real. Sounds not, but it is. But beyond all the silliness and the crazy fashion tales, I think this is actually a very deep conversation. It's about spirituality and what matters. It's about following the artist's path and knowing what your calling is. It's also about what happens when your friends start to die and the holes that they leave, but also the creative power that you retain from them, I think. It's it's quite beautiful, this. But it's also very full of colour and fun because that epitomises Andrew Logan. I think you're really going to enjoy this. I know I did. (laughs) Come and hang out in Andrew Logan's glorious London apartment. Well, first of all, welcome to the Wardrobe Crisis podcast, Andrew Logan. Oh, I say thank you very much. Yes, (laughs) I'm here. It's lovely in London. (laughs) We're in your house. Thank you very much. One of your abodes. I'm very grateful that you've allowed me to come by after last night. Delighted, Claire. So congratulations on your new book, Reflections. It's written as a series of conversations with the writer and curator, Andrew Lambeth. This one really is is a chat. It's a big chat. You know, I just wanted to be in conversation, really, and as we are now. Because I think it's, it's, it's much more immediate. There's almost, I wouldn't say a barrier, but when people write about biographies of other people, that there is something that is missing. You said last night, I wouldn't use the word pompous, but you did use it. I did use the word pompous, yes. <laughs> I did use the word pompous, yes. But something self-aggrandising about, this is my yes. my memoir. Mm. I mean, some work is like that, actually. I know a lot of artists that are exactly that. And perfect to have a biography of their work, because they are pompous. Um, but actually, that it's interesting, tonality, because... I have speed read the book, I only got it yesterday, but I've read a lot and followed your work for many years. Mm. But this book is very inviting, as was last night. It was very friendly. Yes. But friendliness is a... I think the world needs to learn. I mean, look at it at the moment. My goodness. (laughs) What a mess. We could do with more of it. All right. I want to just talk about jewellery for a moment Mm -hmm. because... That's how I first came across your work. And this podcast is about fashion and there is a very strong fashion connection in your work and life. But you're a sculptor and you make monumental works. And then 
small wearable works. Could you tell us the story of discovering Yoohoo? Yoohoo? Yoohoo glue. My first piece I ever made in 1968. And I bought an oyster shell wall light, 1940s, and wanted to make a light around it. Uh, and so I made, I created a waves out of cardboard. And then I went outside into the street and smashed a mirror. And I brought it back. And I used you glue to stick it together. <laughs> and I grouted it. And it, it's in my little museum in Mid Wales. And then you graduated on to, what, Araldite. And then later, I had, when I came to London, I worked for a wonderful man called Anti Redmile. Um, and I was sticking seashells on furniture. And he had a technique of resin, the Araldite resin. And uh, I asked him if I could use it. And he said, of course. So that's remained with me ever since. It's also um, something you've almost taught yourself. You've developed this this practice that is very refined and very original but it's almost like you've figured it out as you've gone along yes well i think 50 years later you're just beginning to <laughs> but it's not a tech you know no one trained no, you no, in the no. technicality so, of this i'm completely self-taught i didn't go to art school actually i always say this on this podcast which is really annoying for everyone listening but i wish you could see where we are maybe, <laughs> maybe i will ask you to describe just briefly some of the things around us set yes the scene. of course to the right that's actually called Nell's son. Now this is um, little yeah, Nell. Exactly. Really. It's dedicated to my yes, because I I've known Nell since she first came to London and before Rocky Horror and everything. And we, well, I never seen Nell Campbell, yes, an Aussie, Nell, an Australian knew, of great fabulousness. And her parents I knew well, Ruth and her father, and her sister Sally, of course. And um, Sally Campbell is a wonderful, wonderful textiles expert. I'm seeing, I curator. see on the social media, yes. This is Nell's. Well, it's a, it was a son, I thought, Australia and Nell. So I thought, well, Nell's son, you know, it's, that's how things happen in these works. They don't, they just find, find themselves, really. The work that you're speaking about there, which is a sculptural son. Yes. Um, surrounded by Wall your distinctive signature glass. But actually, when you do portraits, they're often very um, direct portraits of fabulous people. So the I'm looking at them. behind me is Amanda Lear. Amanda Lear. Um, Amanda Lear. We're going to talk about the 60s, which is going to be fun, but <laughs> one sentence, Amanda Lear, not the fur coat story, but who was Amanda Lear? Darley's. Darley's protégé. And, and who else is around us? There's Marilyn Monroe on the head of a... Oh yes, that piece is. Um, this piece is actually inspired by Man Run Run. It's called Diamonds or Girls' Best Friend, and um, it's based on a series of hammer and sickles I did for. I went to Russia. Was it eighty six? And I created in the nineties. It was called Soviet Symphony, and it was a series of mobiles, each denoting each republic. And so, depending on what the public was, so if they were oil oil manufacturers, then it was you had an oil rig, and so and they all and wheat, and so there was a whole series. I've still got them in storage somewhere, but this particular one is was a reject from that. <laughs> so you can actually see the sickle if you look at. You can see the sickle. In. Last night at your book talk, someone in the audience recalled that she'd first met you when she was in Russia. And she was young and she saw you and you spoke to her. Do you actually know her? I presume you do. But she's, you spoke to her about art. You seemed extraordinary and delightful and colourful to her. And she, at that moment, she said this last night, decided, I want to work with artists if that's what it's like. <laughs> Sasha Galitzin. Now, there were two families. There were the Romanovs and the Galitzins. So Romanovs, as you know, were assassinated. But the Galitzins were also very, for they were next to the Tsars. So they have a palace in St. Petersburg and libraries, all sorts of things. Uh, so she's the new generation. Um, How did it feel to be told that you were the, you probably already knew, that you were the spark? No, I didn't know, actually. I was, I was delighted. But it was a particularly wonderful occasion. Where was it? Uh, Elephant Castle. They were the shopping centre, which is run down, is now demolished. But at that time they were fighting 
to preserve it. And one of the things was to have this, I think she'd, she was doing art installations on the 90, I think, was it the 43 or the 93 bus route? Of which Elephant and Castle was on this particular bus route. So I, she knew of me, so she asked me if I would do this jewellery performance. And then we had a wonderful band, a carnival band, and we paraded round the, it was a Saturday afternoon, everyone was shopping, you know how people are. <laughs> All very serious, and, and there we were, cavorting round the. We went twice actually round. We walked round this, the centre, and then culminating, in this cafe scene where everyone stood on the tables and chairs and dancing and wearing singing. what? Wearing my jewellery and, and the I I make these. I suppose it started. God, how many years ago now, Claire? Um, they're kind of shifts. They're stretch velvet. So I do a tube for the body, and then I do tubes for the arms, a tube to go around the neck, a tube for the head. You can wear it as a, head, a hat. Um, and then I pin jewellery to them. So they, I transform them. So they become actually very glamorous outfits. And, uh, and they're great because they... I mean, when I started, um, I think the first time I did it was was in the Sovin Centre in Moscow. It was British Week in the eighties. That's also weird. I know, and being two Americans organising it, and they asked me if I had ever shown my jewellery as as a performance. And I said no. They said we'd love you to do it. So the first was these very very glamorous. My goodness, I think Pam was the most glamorous. 40 of the most exquisite women I've ever seen. And evidence, it is known for its beautiful women. And of course, since then, they all become supermodels and gone to the West. And, but there, I was at a time when they hadn't, couldn't get out. And we did this jewellery performance. And well, They must have just thought you were completely bonkers. I mean, also having British Week in a Russian shopping centre in the <laughs> 80s is ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> well, there's no shopping centres. It was a Soviet centre. It what, who, what? It was a Sovin centre, and it was a hotel. And you had to show a pass to get in. Of course they wouldn't have shopping. No, they didn't have, they had... I rather got that wrong, didn't yes, I? <laughs> yes, they didn't have... And um, it was curious, as I think lots of prostitutes in and out of the hotel. Mm. But they also had a big performance area. So if anything was coming from abroad, then the performances, they were shown there. So that's why... I'm sorry, but they must have just wondered what was hitting them. So you've got all your velvet, stretch velvet tube people. <laughs> That's later. In, that came later. Covered in your giant mirrored pieces. I think this particular one was a man called Raf Sadov, who had a big TV programme at that time. Um, but he was a designer, and he designed the outfits. They were black. Ah. And they were very slinky and wonderful. And I remember I took over the centre of the, the big Soviet symphony mobile. It was huge, hammer and sickle. And I think the sickle's hand was a missile. Um, not a missile, but a moon, you know, the moon missile. And, um, and so this hung amongst uh, in the stage. And as you say, people have never seen anything like this well, before. Well, they probably still haven't. Now, last night when your friend, the um, princess Galitsian... Yes, Galitsian, yes. Uh, remarked that you had inspired her to be an artist. She asked you what had inspired you, and you said, and you remembered it so crystally clear, uh, that it was seeing a surrealist exhibition at the MoMA in New York. Tell us about that. Yes, well, I was I studied architecture at Oxford, and you have three years' study, so it was 64 to 67, and then you have a year out. So I thought, well, if I've got to have a year, I'm not very keen on working in the architect's office, but if I have to, I'll go to America. And on my way, I stopped in New York, and that's when the show was on, Dada and Surrealism. Dali. Yes, Dali, the Dali's taxi, the water, in the raining inside. So what, describe that for those who Well, when not... I walked in, there was a 1930s, funny little taxi. Um, An actual physical taxi yes, in the gallery. Physical. Yeah. Oh, yes, physical. 
with these two mannequins inside and then lots of sort of jungly stuff around them. And then it was raining inside. It was pouring as rain. Um, I thought, oh, that's, that's rather wonderful. Yeah, well, you thought more than that. You thought, I mean, did it change how you thought you might work or what you thought you could achieve? No, it didn't. I could say what did change it was my um, LSD experience. <laughs> That'll do it. I had, exactly. It was a student at Oxford. Um, two of when? Us. It would have been 69. That. 69? What happened? Well, we had half a tablet and we, it was very controlled. It was a friend of myself. And we were in somebody's flat in East Oxford. Um, it was very, it was remarkable. And two things really happened. One was the sun setting. And I started to draw around the, the shadows of the... As it was going down, I was drawing the sun. Because time, all everything becomes different. And then he had some bowl of fruit on the table and it had a very dark blue wall. And I picked well, up... You've, a, you've got very dark blue walls. No, really dark. Yeah. You know, that kind of night, night sky. I, th- I picked up an orange and threw it at the wall. Well, normally, the, wall, the orange just goes... and splat. But this, this orange didn't. It just carried on. It just carried on going. And um, <laughs> and it was later after I thought, well, if I can do that with an orange, I can do anything. Get out. Is this in your book? I haven't come across it. I, I'm sure it must be <laughs> because I'm not. I, but it's, for me, it was that. That was the, my change. That gave me the confidence. Up to then, I didn't. Re- you know, that age when you're 19, 20 or early 20s, it's, you're very different. You don't really know where you're going. And some people do, but. I didn't. I I studied architecture. I didn't really I knew I didn't. I studied architecture because I wanted. I thought well, I want to. I want to help humanity. And I could do that by giving everybody a roof over their head. So that was what I thought at the time. But of course, as I progressed through the education, I realised it wasn't quite like that. Um, it's interesting the visual image that you just gave us of tripping Andrew, age whatever you were. I don't know, how old were you? I would would have been 24. So the dark, dark midnight blue of the sky and an orange. Mm. And we'll share pictures and links so you can see the vibrancy of Andrew's work. But colour is obviously... I mean, today I wore a green jumper because last night I was ashamed that I was in black. And you said how drab and sad it was that everyone always wore black. But you were asked also about your relationship with colour. And I suppose everyone asks you that because it's fundamental to what you do. And you said, well, you told a lovely story. You said when you were young, I don't know how young, you used to paint your bikes. And you said, one, I might paint it lime green and then I would wear lime green. And then I would paint it silver and I would wear silver. So... What does colour mean to you? A life, I think. Essence of life. Simple as that. Um, we're surrounded by colour the whole time. Of course, being in... I think I said last night about how the, in a northern clime, it's browns and greys and... It's inevitable, really. But you see Australia, I immediately think of colour. And, of course, my great friend Jenny Key. Colour. Talk about colour. I did a wonderful collection of her, Opal collection I did once. It was when Opals weren't worth very much. And she had great hunks of it and she did these doors, I really need to remember. Jenny Key, she's one of Australia's most important designers and with Linda Jackson she basically rewrote yes. or wrote from scratch a language of Australian design in the fashion space. Mm. And actually Linda has been on this podcast and we'll share a link. <laughs> but that Opal collection was something that she worked on originally a print that Karl Lagerfeld used for Chanel that I think probably surprised the French because it was so exuberant and so colourful. And at that time, I mean, I suppose Saint Laurent was colourful, but I don't know, there's less of a hectic collage feel to high fashion at that time, shall we say. Yes. Well, I I mean, thank you for filling me in. I didn't know that. But what I she did ask me to do this collection because I knew her from um, Chelsea Antique Market when she was working for Vern Lambert, who was 
a good friend of mine when I first came to London. He then moved with Anna Piaggi to Milan. But gosh, what an influence. Uh, they called influencers or something, aren't they? Um, on fashion. An extraordinary man. I, mean, he, he, I remember he would go to, to these auctions and he'd buy a sort of 17th century waistcoat, exquisitely embroidered and things. It was sort of like five pounds or something. And I mean, he just, but he embraced everything. Um, such a such a visionary, I think. Coming back to colour, you just said colour is life to you. For me, I suppose it's that's why I love spring because you get that green. That wonderful what you're wearing today, fantastic green. That oh, that luminous green. But the, which I don't like autumn because it's approaching winter, which is very dark. But you do get those gorgeous russets and reds. So you are surrounded by nature the whole time, and you, you. But you have to look. You have to look. I mean, you can you can see most people don't look by the state of our cities. I mean, aesthetically, I mean they're all vertical building, and that's it. These skyscrapers and things, but there's there isn't sensitivity towards our environment and. And that's all colour. That's all part of it. I once attended, actually, it was mm. cat, the catalyst for me quitting magazines. I was invited <laughs> to go to this thing at the Powerhouse yeah. in Sydney by this yeah. amazing curator. And the invitation said, a course in looking. And it was two hours of examining one Dior dress that wasn't even a very exciting dress, <laughs> but just one Dior <laughs> dress from the collection. And it was sold as that and I thought it was so... She didn't say it was a boring dress, but she said, this is going to be two hours of closely looking at how this dress mm. is constructed. Two hours! I thought, oh, my God, I want to go. And it was, I was at work, and I knew I couldn't, but I just went anyway. I yes. thought, I'll just pretend I'm at yeah. a meeting. And then while I was there, I thought, actually, I'm in the wrong job because I have to lie to come here and look at this thing. But it was the most thrilling thing that I've done for a long time. I always remember it. There were about eight of us, and we carefully examined the seams yeah. and the way it was constructed, and we talked yes. about how and why, and it was bloody good. And I thought, actually, why am I just churning out media when I want to have a course in looking? Anyway, mm. I say that because... No, I, it's fascinating <laughs> it to, to hear, because it, it's good to hear. Because I think Cause we a, don't look, do we? we no. We're busy, too no. busy looking at our phones. We don't yeah. look around no. us. We don't, and... And it's you can just buy designer buildings, and it's um, because it's, sadly, I think art, certainly in this country, is very much outside of society. You know, I always love going to Italy, Claire, because there is an intrinsic part of it. It's it's the heart. I agree. And it, you just cry all the time, don't yes, you? It's so full just, of beauty. Um, but it's there. It's and it's not anything to do with the rich or the poorest. It's everyone embraces it and they see it as and really that's that's the difference between animals and us really is that we we do create we have the gift of, of being able to create yesterday i saw you come out of the tube because i was on the way to your oh. event <laughs> and i just saw you in the distance and you were a shining beacon of vermilion and scarlet and fuchsia and emerald mm. green <laughs> and everyone around you, because it was quite cold and it was going to rain, yes. was wearing like a coat, a dark coat pulled a dark up. Dark coats. <laughs> Getting on the tube sometimes. I look down the tube and it's all black. And I'm sort of glowing. Like it's... <laughs> I need to ask you right now to describe what you're wearing, since this is an audio experience. Yes. Well, actually, this is a very interesting... This Full is of a... holes! Yes, but the reason is, uh, it's all to do with fashion, actually. Because I love Polonex. I think they're a marvellous, marvellous garment. So I interrupted you. So what is this? Describe. Yes. Well, uh, this is a Polonex that um, I wore for many years. And then it wore... I thought I'd have to get some more. And so I started to use it for cleaning my jewellery. And this is why it's got all the holes in it. Because the knife that I clean... That's so nice. <laughs> yes. So this is part of my... Jewelry. Artfully shredded. What colour is it? Bright red. And um, and then after that, I couldn't... They stopped making Polonex. Just stopped. You know how fashion is. It just stopped. And I've had to wait. 
I think, 10 or 15 years, and now they've started again. Um, so that's that. The, the waistcoat, which is um, in pink velvet, encrusted with um, sort of little green flowers and gold chains, um, is actually part of a backdrop of Krishna. Uh, I go to Brindavan a lot in northern India, and they worship Krishna, and they have these, in the temples, they have these backdrops, which they change all the time. And this is one of the backdrops. So this is made in India. And then the... It's a Nero collared waistcoat. Yeah, Nero collared, yes. Very good. And then around the nape of my neck, I have a a jewel commemorating the last alternate in this world on the theme of gold. And it's basically a, a gold heart... Uh, Surrounded by chain, with long danglies on it, and um, can you jingle them for the mic? Oh yes, I'm gonna <laughs> danglies. Um, my hat is, I think they're Pakistani, but I'm not sure. But I bought them. I put a whole load of them in, in a airport in Turkey. They had this wonderful array of hats, every single colour you could imagine. So I spent, I think, just before the flight. Um, trying all the hats on, so I and bought, then buying them all. Yeah, I bought them all, <laughs> and so they, so they're my kind of everyday hats. This one, this everyday hat is tomato red and embroidered with gold swirls and mirror work insets. And what, what else do we want to do? We want... Oh yeah, wearing a pair of cherry red cords. Cherry red cords because it's now getting cold in England, and um, so. But it's funny because. I love corduroy chances. I think cords are wonderful um, material. But funnily enough, it's very difficult to get other colours. I find most of them are red. Red or brown, or browns, which I'm not interested in. But <laughs> as colour goes, red is about the only one that seems to be available. OK, before we get off describing yes. people's style... I feel that we should just take this moment to describe Zandra because her <laughs> hair is the same colour as your waistcoat and yes. she is uh, one of your great friends mm. and certainly one of the more colourful people visually that I have ever come across and you probably don't remember this, Andrew, because you don't stick, I don't stick in your mind as you in mine, but I once came to mm. the glass house, the, sec- the last one, to talk to you about Vern Lambert, who you mentioned before. And you graciously gave me a cup of tea and we were mm. talking about him. Yeah. And then you said, oh, do you mind if our friend, if my friend joins us? And there was Andra, resplendent in future pink bobbed hair, etc. Yeah. Could you, for listeners who are not aware of her splendour, tell us who Zandra is and what she means to you. But first of all, describe her style. Oh, Zandra. Zandra Rhodes. Um, she, I call her an artist. I mean, she's a fashion designer. But I think of all the ones, I mean, Vivian is definitely interprets fashion in a very different way. Zandra, I mean, she went to Australia and she did, um, she, she did drawings of the Ayers Rock in this wonderful book she has. So she travels with this book and she does, so she, and then from that, she then translates the drawings from her book into textiles. And then the textiles are then translated further on into clothes. Extraordinary prints. Yes, and that's how... And each one dictates the next stage. Um, it's a fascinating thing. I mean, she's she's very rare. Very, very rare. I mean, she's a proper icon. She's a British yes. design icon. What does she mean to you? Well, she's a dame now. Is she? Yeah, she's Good. a dame. Dame Sandra Rhodes. Are you an earl? What do you call them? Lords? No, I'm not. A sir. <laughs> You should be. Arise, Sir Andrew Logan. I don't have the power. But actually, you should because you're quite the royalist. But my my sister Janet is now Her Majesty. Yeah, but not by... (laughs) No, she's she's just been crowned alternative as well. (laughs) Yes, but... She ended 50 years, 50 years of 15 events she's entered and never won. And now she's won. So I have to say to Zandra... I'm sorry, Zandra, now you're, the dame is below Her Majesty. Okay, now you have mentioned the alternative Miss I'm sorry, yes. No, this is very important. So you've yeah. just had the 50th anniversary of this yes. event, which is if you're an insider who knows stuff, you would be obsessed with this thing. If you're not, you're about to be. <laughs> <laughs> um, listeners may actually not be aware 
of Miss World because these days who talks about that? Mm. But um, in the 60s and 70s, what was Miss World? What is it now? But, but tell us bit, about what the real yes, what the in the OG 60s and one. 70s, Claire, it was very much like Eurovision Song Contest. High, high audience capacity, you know, uh, viewing. And everyone watched it. Because I, between me, I think it was one of the few things that was glamorous. When you think, I mean, I know it was against women, I think, but it was glamorous. I mean, it's funny, you just said I know it was against women. I mean, recently I watched a very good film, Kira Knightley is in it, about the uh, feminists who stormed, yes, I forget I've seen which it. year, I've seen it. Miss World, yeah. to basically say, we're not. Yeah. A bunch of dogs in crafts, although mm. they don't use that language, but you'll know why yes, I am. Yes. Um, so it was really, you know, it was terrible actually, mm. like women being paraded yes. around and being commented on for their commented on for mm. how well they looked in the swimwear, etc. Mm. It's gross, right? I said crafts because why? <laughs> well, because I'd been to Crafts Dog Show in the early seventies, and um, that really inspired me to do the alternative Miss World. I mean, the Miss World was around, of course. But that wasn't that wasn't the reason because actually uh, alternative world is based on poised personality and originality. Uh, so there's no not beauty or anything else involved. But you can have beauty if you like. But it's certainly glamour, and it just. Um, but I think it, that was why it was so popular. I think it was there was so little on television that was glamorous, um, and fashion was. I mean, I was lucky in the seventies in that. Uh, I knew a lot of fashion designers. Ozzy Clark and Celia Birdwell and... Um, Thea Porter. Thea Porter, of course, my first patron. Bill Gibb, a remarkable man, remarkable designer. And, of course, it, then it was all fun. You, it was before big business. It wasn't. People invested in these companies, but you didn't go out. It wasn't, it wasn't big business. It was, it was fun. In the, in the 70s... There wasn't any commercial emphasis on fashion. It was, um, people were creating. And I remember Ozzy's show in the King's Road, you know, and the, the models were, they were models, but they weren't that serious models. They weren't supermodels. Friends. Were they? they were friends. And they performed in a very different way. When they started to do that kind of, I knew that sort of the kiss of death, when they sort of, was it elephants, a kind of, strut that they would be you no smiling and you kind of have a military kind of walk um you keep saying things that make me want to get off my question script and i'm gonna have to because you said elephant tell us the story of decorating an elephant (gasps) including with toothbrushes as tools with zandra in india yes we'd (laughs) we'd be (laughs) we've been asked to partake in a film uh, going across Rajasthan for the Pirelli calendar. It was long. Which is a huge deal. Yes, which is a huge deal. And uh, culminating. Lord Litchfield in this incarnation. Lord Litchfield, yes. As the photographer. As the photographer. But um, Pirelli calendar, one thinks of tits out. Well, I didn't see any of that. No, it, I think it became more sordid later. I think it's India because it was, it's. Um, Why did they need a painted elephant? <laughs> Well, because it was the final picture, you see, um, this final photograph. No, but you know that now it would be sort of mm, supermodels in splendid nakedness. Yeah. So what was it then? Just a painted elephant? <laughs> it was, it was, it was this beautiful um, scene. What was it? Was it the, um, it was one, was it the Raj, the... Hotel. It was certainly in. Um, I think it was. Was U- it calling Udipur. to mind Duvima? Udipur. In that original nineteen fiftiesy photo. Oh with yes, the I know that one. Isn't it beautiful? That one. Or was it not? Was it just an Indian no, celebration? No, it was much more. The two elephants that we both painted. We were sort of at the back in these kind of mahal things, and then at the front was the Rajasthani folks in pink. Red and gold, I mean, just luminous. But you were invited to decorate actual elephants, yes. not paint some elephants on a mural. So we, we painted the, well, the actual elephant, yes. 
and they were very naughty. So we had toothbrushes to paint. And so when I was dipping in and sort of painting the elephant, it, would, it got its trunk and it sort of nipped around. And <laughs> it was Why were you naughty. painting it with toothbrushes? Yes. Painting its toenails with toothbrushes? Yes, toothbrushes. Well, it was a very good... It's a large thing to decorate. All right, from painting an elephant yes. back to Aussie Clark et al. Yes. So at the time that you started the first Alternative Miss World, which you did in 1972, it was in your studio in Downham. Mm-hmm. Those were the kinds of people who were hanging around because everybody knew each other and it wasn't like the era of H&M and cards mm-hmm. and chain stores. If you were a creative fashion designer, you knew the art people and you, I guess created stuff together on a no-budget situation. Yes, yes. Very much similar, yes. And um, my second alternative world had all the... I had, I had All the judges were from fashion, so we had Barbara Huliniki. Bieber. Yeah, Bieber, who I later did a garden for. Um, Actually, oh, I did want to ask if you felt like the ghosts of all those people, not Barbara, but of people who are gone... You feel them around Kensington because I, I was thinking that <laughs> you go there and it's all changed, but mm. the buildings are the same, and your memories mm. must obviously loom large mm. when you're talking about your book. Yes, and that those people were all around there. Yes, there was sort of Notting Hill, and do you feel um, it? A strange presence. I think your whole life is like that. I think your whole life is in memories and memories of people, and I mean I can specify it in that. You know, I do a yoga, I'm a yoga teacher. I do yoga practice every day. But actually, my practice now engages all my friends because I've got this friend, Chrissy, who died of terrible cancer, and he did a certain certain asana, and he was so proud of it. So when I do it every day now, I think of him. And oh, the, wow. And so it's marvellous. So I think life, that's how life becomes. Um, and then... They're physically obviously not here anymore, but I think spiritually they are. And uh, and so it's it's very rich. I think by the, by the time it's due to go, one's so filled with so many people, it's your sort of bursting point, really. <laughs> that first one was interesting because of the judges, mm. one of whom was David Hockney. So if yeah. you're listening to this going, what are they talking about? Just tell us, what do you mean by alternative Miss World inspired by... Looking at Crufts, the dog show, looking at actual Miss World on the television, but not wanting your criteria to be about how shapely were they, how beautiful were they. There's no, there's no restrictions on gender or age or anything. I mean, that's that's the alternative Miss World. It's open to all. Um, robot one in '85, Miss Rosa Bosom. That was Bruce Lace's robot. She won. Um, we've never had an animal win. But um, you never know. Lee Bowery. Lee Bowery was in it. So he started his, his... He didn't win? No, he was in 85. No, he went... But that was his first time that he'd been on stage and uh, performed. Really? Yeah. Another Australian. So, if you don't know who that is... We will share links. This is one of those podcasts where if we're talking about people that you haven't come across, it will be really good to check the show notes and see the pictures. And then you can go down rabbit holes and be thrilled by these people's <laughs> artistic craziness. But back to that first one. So what was it like? Ten people in your flat having a laugh, getting dressed up. How did it look? Yes. I mean, With like, David Hockney judging yes, them. He, David was <laughs> judging. Uh, it's actually, I'll tell you where it is. You can see it. Bigger Splash. The film about David and his split up with Peter Schlesinger, his then boyfriend. Um, and there's a short piece of them. A footage. A footage, yes. Gosh. Um, and you get a glimpse of me. And you wore? My half and half host and hostess. Please uh, costume, explain. Which I found in a box in a jumble sale uh, near my home in Whitney in Oxfordshire, near Oxford. And... Uh, I thought it was the most wonderful outfit, and it, it was originally used in book, music halls, where the ladies' side would come on, and then go off the other side, and then it would he, the figure would turn, then come back, and it would be the man's side. <laughs> uh, 
Um, but my parents remember it is actually. Uh, Just recently had yeah. the 50th anniversary of Alternative Miss World. Fast forward, what was it like? Well, it was gold. The team was gold. And it was my third time I've done it at the Shakespeare's Globe by the River Thames. Uh, wonderful theatre. It's like, not quite a circus tent, but in a way, anywhere you sit or stand, you'll feel really in touch with the, with the stage because the stage juts out. So you're in the circular around it. And it's wonderful. So it's already engaging. So I've always felt that the audience and the contestants are as important as each other. Or has it influenced people? Well, I hope it has. Uh, first of all, it's about joy and fun and just this... Uh, the actual event is, is, is pure joy. Um, there's no barriers. Everything's broken down. Everyone ch- talks to each other. And all ages, young, old, fat, thin, whatever, it's you all all engaged together. There's no barriers. Um, and that doesn't happen very often. But it's interesting to look at it contextually because mm. I was thinking about how today there's a big conversation around diversity and inclusion, which is obviously essential. Mm. But we do, I think, tend to frame that as finally diversity and inclusion is central to what we're talking about in fashion it was okay i'm not saying that we as an industry hadn't stuffed it monumentally and we haven't been presiding over a fattest racist Mm. very narrow-minded vision of beauty for years and years and years (laughs) especially in high fashion especially in magazine shoots Mm. and runways etc but actually if you look at this stuff in the 70s it was very diverse and it was very embracing of the other if you like in inverted commas yes i don't know do you want to talk a bit about that because i was thinking i was wondering how you saw it and if you've noticed those conversations now and if you feel well i think is i mean it's good it's now become a talking point and um but i think the one thing and that all of us human beings is completely lacks humour. I mean, let's laugh. I mean, we're on this world for a very short time. Let's let's enjoy each other's company and and whatever we are, it doesn't matter what we are. But uh, that lack of humour is... Uh, do you think it's become a bit earnest, awesome. yeah? Oh, earnest, earnest, earnest. I mean, I think wars could start with this. That's how wars begin, of course. Um, so was it? So was it, did it not feel political when you were doing it? Did it feel more no. like a laugh? No, I was, I'm, you were. You're like I'm, absolutely not. I'm very apolitical. Mm. I just. I seem to remember in one film. I think it was 1991. There was some clause, some some clause 28. I don't know what it was about. Anyhow, it was something about not promoting homosexuality. But I just. I mean, I'm not this. Is a homosexual event, but uh, I am so. But nevertheless, it was. I evidently just did it. In the, I just did it. I, I. But you obviously then weren't feeling um, oppressed by the political climate. I mean, no. Which is interesting because no. I find it amazing, and I only know this because of researching the sixties. Yes. That homosexuality was illegal until yes. 1968 in Britain. Yes. That is mad. Yes. I and mean, we're talking about that now with the World Cup. Mm. Yes. Maybe this will come out in after that. But, Qatar, you know. yeah. but, but in mm. Britain, in 1968, mm. you could not openly no. admit to being no. gay. What yeah. the hell? Mm. That's not very long ago. I mean, if you were a kid listening to this, you go, oh, it was ages ago. It wasn't very no, long ago. No, it was not long ago. So didn't you... So did you, did you notice <laughs> that? Did you feel... So it wasn't in rebellion against that. Not I mean, it was all. passed by I then anyway. I was fired but... with my imagination. <laughs> and I just wanted to make things and make the world better. And so that they was all rather inconsequential, actually. How interesting. Uh, actually, though, I do just want to stick on this diversity thing because I thought it was also riveting. One of the judges on that first Alternative Miss World, along with David Hockney, hello, was Jill Searle, who was the founder of something called the Ugly Agency, which was a modelling agency. That's right. Now, you wouldn't call a non... I want to say non-bog standard. I don't even know. 
language is f- stuff d- difficult around this area but you would not call a model agency that was inclusive the ugly agency today but she did what was it the ugly agency <laughs> jill's cell she was wonderful i used to go down there and have a cup of tea and um i remember eric bowman was on the books jenny gayler was on it and they had people eric bowman is a good looking was good fram fulamida was on so there were just people who weren't conventional models exactly right and i think that was the only time i was i had one job because i was i was down with them but the one job i got and i was very proud of it you were on the books yes i was on the books with the gas board and there's a (laughs) and there's a picture of me i think i'm standing looking very interested with a load of other people bullshit looking into a gas oven you know like (laughs) What, conservatively dressed? Oh, yes, of course. I had to look like Mr. Ordinary. That is demented. I'm glad I asked. Yeah. Okay. Jill's on the end. It's a great agency. All right. Yeah. We're running out of time. Um, uh, I want to ask this. So you just said before, when I asked you before about whether your work was political, you talked about joy. And Why don't you tell us a little bit about your museum? Yeah, the museum. I had a dream of opening a museum in the 80s. Because um, the work's about joy and fun, I thought, well, and I don't really sell it very much. So I thought, well, the only way you'd get it for is for want to, of trying. Or? I don't have. I'm not. I'm not in the gallery you system. Keep it. I'm not in. I'm not in that. In that business world of of investment and all that stuff, it's not. Um, which I know is that's the way it is. So, month plus another lifetime, and it'd be different. But this particular life. And um, I just wanted somewhere people could come and, and for even just a few moments, just look around and smile and come out smiling, which is actually people do. And of course, it's more extraordinary because it's in the mid Wales, sort of it's rolling hills and little little rivers. It's got the River Seven running through it and big ancient oaks and ancient trees, a very unpopulated area. I think there's only 600 in the village. And Paris, the, the state that we're in, um, I think is the lowest population in the UK. <laughs> so, I mean, it's ridiculous to have a museum where there's more sheep than people. Anyhow, it's there. And um, we but opened 30 years ago. Long? Oh. 30 years ago, we opened 1991. And it houses all the alternative world, uh, alternative crown jewels, the portraits, the robes. The, the Thrones, that has houses the Cosmic Egg. Which is? A five-metre five by two-and-a-half-metre huge egg, which I call covered in the cosmos. So there's galaxies all over its surface and mirror, and then it has the primordial ocean running in between. But it's like a black hole. It just sucks in the images around it. Uh, and... Um, and then the other one, we've got um, Egypt Revisited, a sound and light spectacular, which I did in, created in 1977 as a result of a trip to Egypt. And also Goddesses, some of the Goddesses exhibition, because I had a um, trip to India in 1982 and then created a show around that. So it's absolutely packed. And it's in a very small and... Um, so hopefully one day we'll be able to expand. But um, so that's the little museum, and it sits by the river, River Rue, and uh, and I work next door in my studio. And you work every day. I work every day, uh, and life is very good. well simple. But it's I must say they say when you get older it gets quieter, but it doesn't seem to be <laughs> happening here. You're in demand. Yeah. I want yeah. to finish on something. Slightly different, but Mm. that I just love to ask people about Mm. because it's something I care about, which is trees. And Mm. I was so pleased to hear you talk yesterday about how much you commune with the trees around you when you're in Wales and how they, you said they don't say much, but that their their existence there in their stateliness Mm. is an inspiration to you. Yes. Yes, I think my work is now... Primarily the pieces, because my studio is not huge. I can't do huge pieces. But the things I am doing are very much relating to our planet and the situation we're in and just just really man's relationship with the planet. 
And so that, and the trees are an important part of that because they have outlived many, many generations, you know, 500, 600 years old. Um, but man loves to cut them down, cut them down, which is dreadful. I mean, <laughs> but uh, so, but because of this area where I am in, it's kind of the sheep and a bit of agriculture, but it it's, um, the trees have survived. But funny enough, when they built the Armada, uh, they took the British oak, the English oaks, but they didn't take the Welsh oaks. So they survived. What? Mm. Gosh. Um, I found an old tree absolutely riveting. Oh, the wisdom in them. And there's a, the wisdom and there's a such a strength of life, of essence of life, really. May I ask you as your mm. final question? Mm-hmm. Final question. That's very obvious, didn't it? It is. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, about what you've learnt, it seems a bit monumental, but I always think yeah. it's nice to. Mm. Well, it's funny because that seems monumental, and the other side of it seems glib. But the monumental side is that. Please respond, and the glib side is what advice would you give others coming up? Oh. Never give up. Actually, Dalai Lama said that. But I always think it's a wonderful thing. Never give up. If you, I mean, I, I suppose talking to people with vision, then, which I suppose I'm an artist, so I'm, when I give you an artist, I say, you know, if you have vision, just follow it. Just follow. I've been very lucky in that I've had this path through my life. And I've been able to follow this path very, very strongly. And I know for a lot of people that's not possible. But I think the other thing is compassion. You know, you need, we need to, and friendliness, we need to be friends with each other. And look after our world. I mean, let's get real. Let's look after it. And, and all this stupid of capitalism and growth, and growth to what? I mean, we just, we just need to step back and start looking after the planet and looking after each other. Um, and things, things might, might, be, might ripen up a bit then. <laughs> so I hope so. Thank you for listening to Wardrobe Crisis. You can find the show notes for each episode and read our magazine over on our website, www.thewardrobecrisis.com. And that's where you can also sign up for our free sustainable fashion newsletters. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I'd love you to help us spread the word. Tell a friend, share on social media, or leave us a rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps new listeners find us on the app. You can get in touch with us on social media. The show is on Instagram, at The Wardrobe Crisis, and I'm on there too. And on Twitter, I'm at Mrs. Press. Because I love you Because I love you